Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the last Sunday of 2020. How do you feel about the fact that we've already seen 360 sunrises of uh, 2020 and we only got five more left? I, I don't need to be able to hear the claps and applause from where you are because I already know a lot of us are enthusiastic about turning the page on this season. You know, because many of us had uh, expectations and plans for this, for this year that did not include uh, being dressed from the waist up in front of a computer screen and having whatever's going on underneath happening, right? That wasn't the plan, but, we, but that's where we have been. And in fact, I don't think there's probably a more appropriate time for the, for the meme that emerged that like, this is how it started and this is how it's going like to, to emerge from this year, right? Many of us had, especially because of the iconic number, the nice roundness of 2020, there was a whole lot of mottos of playing off the vision theme and nobody saw this coming in that vision, right? And so it may have started with fireworks and ended with many of us weeping and crying and desiring it for it to end. I don't think there's ever been a year that's evoked as much disdain as 2020. Um, I mean, did you even see that there, there's a commercial from Match.com that, that, that pictures Satan in 2020 having paired up as a couple and finding bliss as mutually desiring to destroy others' lives? It's hilarious, but um, there's this aspect of us wanting to seek to exhale and, and look to 2021. But I think it, before we just kind of jump on to the next thing, it's important for us to take stock. And in fact, I'd like to kind of complicate the, the issue a little bit from the narrative that is happening right now of just 2020 was the problem and, and moving on is the solution. Because let me ask you a question. Do we believe... God, that he is sovereign in control of everything and that he is good. Okay, do we believe Brother Travis Green when he says that God's intentional and, and works all things out for my good? Well, if I do believe that, then, then how does that relate to how I process 2020? How, how do I make sense of evil manifest, manifesting itself in a pandemic that has ravaged our country and to this point over 300,000 Americans have lost their lives in nine months? How do I, how do I make sense of the state violence that, that took so many people like Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and Rayshard Brooks and, and, and revealed this wickedness in high places? How do, I, how do I comprehend the losses, big and small, as we, we suffered and, and sheltered in place and, and, and just had to deal with all of the things that we were expecting evaporating? How do I make sense of all that? Is that, is that just the devil in, in 2020 getting together? And if so, what does that say about God being in control and working things out for our good? Which one is it? And here's the tension in which we live. Because you know what? Both can be true at the same time. 
In 2020, we, we saw the evils like we've never seen before, but the Joseph story in the Bible tells us that that's not the end of the story. Oh, some of y'all might remember Joseph. Uh, Joseph in, 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 the, in, in the Old Testament, one of the sons of, of, of Jacob that, you see, he also had a, a pretty bad, there was a pretty bad 2020 BC that was going on back then. And he didn't just have a bad year, he had a couple bad decades. After getting this clear vision and this perspective about what God was going to do in his his life and he was ready to walk in his purpose and in his destiny and before he knew it, his brothers plotted and planned to kill him. And when that plan got averted, they said, well, we'll just sell him off into slavery in another land. And, you know, Joseph was like, you know, that's all right, but you know what? I'm too blessed to be stressed, so, you know, I'm I'm just going to say my mantra and move on. So even in the midst of him being in bondage, he still got his glow up, his, his come up, and was doing quite well until he was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit when he was just trying to uphold his master's honor and then got thrown into jail. And as he languished there for years for a crime he didn't commit, He found himself right there in the grips, in the flows of, well, what is it? Is God good or did he just leave me and desert me here by myself? And we we see the end of the story where, where, where God ends up bringing him out of that dungeon, out of that prison, puts him in second in command of all of Egypt. And he's now in a position to either cast the deciding vote of, should I let my family starve? Or should I feed the very people who tried to kill me and sold me into slavery? And they were very afraid. And then when he came to that moment, he says to his brothers who were afraid, like, oh, snap, he's about to wild out on us. And he said, no, because it was you, you meant it for evil, but God is using it for the good, for the saving of many lives. You see, Joseph had and held into tension both of these realities that can be true, which is that evil is afoot in the world. Evil is wilding out, but God has a plan that supersedes that. You see, Satan is playing checkers, but God is playing chess. So, So how can we take what we've lost and make sense of it and see a bigger picture and a better picture? You know, sometimes when people have shared with me some, some just experiencing devastating things in their lives and they've come on the other side of that and, 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 and they even have seen some, some benefits from just some of the things that they encountered. And what I like to ask them is, have you seen the redemptive thread of this experience yet? Have you seen the redemptive thread Sometimes they say, yes, pastor, I, I, I exactly see the things that I needed to learn. Because you see, Joseph needed to learn some things. It wasn't just that he randomly suffered. He was a spoiled brat that, that had some character issues. And God used his time of suffering to draw some things out and to put some things in that he needed in order for him to accomplish the things that he had to do. I'm not saying it was his fault, but I'm saying God used it. That's kind of the redemptive thread that we have to kind of, and we don't get there without serious contemplation, the thread. You know, you know how like your old shirt where like you might see like a thread and you just think, oh, let me pull it. And then it keeps going and you keep pulling it and it keeps going. And you're like, yo, this is a lot longer. This thread is more involved with the entire fabric of my shirt than I ever thought or expected. 
Well, the redemptive thread is one in which you think it's something that's small, but it keeps going out and going out and going out, and you realize it's actually connected to the whole in a way that you never thought of. Oh, God didn't cause this pain, but he can use it to do more than what I can expect. And it's essential for us to see and reflect on our pain and the promise in order for us to see how these redemptive threads play themselves out. And Jesus taught about these threads in perhaps his most famous sermon ever. It's found in Matthew chapter 5 and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. In it, he teaches us about some of these threads and reveals deeper truths that lead us to God. Jesus teaches uh, about eight of these threads, and they're called the Beatitudes, and I encourage you to reflect on all of them during this next week. But for the sake of time, we'll limit our meditation today on just three of them. So the other five you can actually take between now and the end of the year and continue to reflect. The first is found in Matthew 5.3, and it reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want to know how to be blessed in 2021? You know how to, how to do this? this is, listen up, here it is right here. Now, in Jesus' day, much like today in many misguided circles, wealth was considered a sign of God's blessing, and poverty was considered a sign of God's curse. So to be poor in any sense of the world, in any sense of the word, meant that you were not experiencing God, you were not close to God. So this crowd, this mass of people would have been shocked to hear Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of us know about being poor. Some of us know about being poor. Now, okay, yeah, yeah, some of y'all know the difference between poor and poe, right? Poor is like, you got some problems. Poe is like, I'm too poor to afford the next O and the R at the end of the word. Like, being poor is like when you remember that you had nothing to eat for dinner but hot dogs. Being poe is when you put mustard and, and ketchup on a piece of bread because you can't afford the hot dog, right? Like, there's, there's levels to this. Well, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Jesus is quoting here from a prophecy that his Jewish audience would have immediately recognized. And it was a promise that contradicted the conventional wisdom about being poor. It's found in in, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. He actually uses this uh, verse when he announces his ministry in Luke chapter 4 in another passage. But this is what Isaiah 61, 1 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, listen, to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor are those who are destitute and in need. If you grew up in a situation like I did where you found like it was a good day when you had the hot dogs and you mixed it up with the ramen noodles and then you did something a little extra to kind of fill out the meal, then you might know about poverty. But even if you don't know what financial poverty is, 2020 has shown us what it means to be poor in spirit. But you have to understand the financial reality for us to get the, the bigger and, and, and grasp of it because you see here Jesus is reflecting on both. The, this is the, in all the other instances in the New Testament where this word here that's translated poor is used, it has to do with financial poverty and hardship. And, and in 2020, when we look at our economy, 
um, unemployment like we've never seen before. Many of us furloughed off of jobs, not finding work. But many more of us have had poverty of spirit, that sense of social isolation, even having goals and time on your hands, but lacking the self-control to do the things that you set out to do when you first realized you didn't have to go to work every day. You all know what I'm talking about. You ever look up and be like, dag, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. I've been on IG since this morning, ready to get up and get my day started. We have realized that we're not as rich and disciplined as we thought. We're not as rich in our understanding of our purpose and walking in it as we realize. And this is where we get to the space of poverty and spirit. And it's blessed. Why? Because when you are broke, then you are ready to hear good news. When you recognize that you have poverty, then you're willing to hear what somebody has to say about riches. Poverty of spirit opens us up to God's good news and look at the result. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is shorthand for God's experiencing his reign and his rule and his redemption and all that he has to offer. And it is when I know that I am poor and lacking that I realize that God has something that I need. It's better for us to be in the space of need and recognition that something has to change. One of my mentors put it this way. People don't change until the pain of remaining the same exceeds the pain of change. People don't change until the pain of remaining the same exceeds the pain of change. And that's why blessed are those who are poor in spirit because when you're poor in spirit, you realize I need change. Have you ever acknowledged and admitted to Jesus I'm poor in spirit? The biggest step for people who have need is to swallow their pride and accept help. The very thing that many of us don't want to do. The point Jesus is making here is that we are all poor in spirit, but only those who admit their poverty can inherit the kingdom. Who can set the rules about who inherits the kingdom? The king. And the king has said, this is how you do it. Admit that you are poor in spirit and you will be blessed. And it's only when we admit that we need God can God meet our needs? Only when we admit that we need God can God meet all of our needs. Because otherwise we take the reins and take control and continue to make a mess of it. The next one, the next verse we're going to look into in verse four, it gets even more challenging. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn? To mourn is to show deep sorrow, to feel deep regret or pain, typically following something like a, the death of a, lost one, a loved one. People often wear black clothes to show that they're in mourning. And here Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, if the crowd was surprised by Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's really, they really rock to hear, they're shocked. What do you mean, blessed are those who mourn? You see, again, this went against the convention of the time, which said, look, if that person is mourning, they're going through some things, that's a sign that God is not with them. But Jesus is calling back to the same prophecy in Isaiah 61 and verse two, and look at what verse two says in this prophecy, that the, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said to 
proclaim good news to the poor. But then he goes on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. This is what Jesus is evoking and he's calling back to this ancient prophecy which was written at another time of great suffering. We started in 2020 BC. Now we get to about 2,500, 600 years later when the people of Israel are now going into Babylon about 608 BC and they are being, their, their, their homeland has been destroyed. People have been killed. They're being sent into chains as slaves into Babylon. And, and in the midst of this moment and experience, God sends them this promise that says, don't worry, I'm going to replace your mourning with joy. And this is a bold prophecy. How are you going to do it? They destroyed the temple. Now, at this time, mourning was, was a, a highly respected and understood uh, thing in the, in, in the old ancient world. And now we don't have that same period and that same sentiment about it. But there are three reasons, at least, why mourning is helpful. Let me help us out. First, when we mourn, we agree with God that things on this earth are not as they are supposed to be. And as simple as that sounds, we tend to live life. And when things are going well, we can t- kind of forget about God. Forget about what he's doing. Forget about that there's something greater and bigger and more important than just my things that I have going on in my life. But when we mourn, we have agreed with God that this world is broken. I mean, I remember a time early in my walk with Jesus where I was like, you know, I do want you to come back. But first, I want to get married. I, I, I want to have some kids. I want to graduate from God. I had all these lists of things. I'm like, I want you to come back, but, 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 but hold off a little bit until I experience this life. Why? Because deep down inside, I really believed that life on this earth was better than whatever had, Jesus had to offer. 2020 rolls around. I'm like, Jesus, come back right now. Please. I mean, I don't have to experience another thing on this earth. I am ready. I welcome you. Please come. Why? Because the morning has shown me the higher blessing of his presence. That's why it says the kingdom of heaven, right? There's something else. The second thing is mourning uh, gives, allows us to see the, the need to lament. Lamenting is, is expressing and bringing our pain to God. I love that our, our worship leader, uh, Mark Diaz, he, he included lament in his EP that was produced right at the beginning of the pandemic, and in one of the songs, in song, uh, he, please don't pass us by, he, he evokes Psalm 2 when he says, where are you when the nations rage? Where are you when the chaos takes over? When we're low on hope and we've lost our faith. When the hand that was supposed to protect us has failed us. And, and you see, we have to make space to simply mourn, which is just simply look at the things outside and go, it shouldn't be like this. This is not right. And I'm sad about it and I'm upset about it and I want something more. What does this have to do with that peace? Well, Dr. Soon Chara puts it this way. Shalom, which is this whole sense of wholeness and peace. He says, shalom, therefore, does not diminish the role of the other or the reality of a suffering world. Instead, it embraces the suffering other as an instrument, as an instrumental aspect of well-being. Shalom requires lament. 
Shalom requires lament because it's only when we get to a place where we say, God, I don't like how it is right now. I want it to be different. And I I want more than this. Then we can actually get a sense of God's wholeness because we can be wholly integrated with what he has and he can hear us. Third, the third reason why mourning is helpful in being blessed is because of who we lament to. Because <laughs> of who we lament to. Oh, I'm preaching myself on this. So I remember um, being a parent, you, you, get this, you see this very vividly. Uh, I remember my daughter, uh, Ariana, she was about five years old. Tamika and I, my wife, we were getting ready for a wedding and, and she was kind of flipping around the house, my daughter, and we were like, hey, look, don't do that in here. You know, know you kind of anxious, but don't do your acrobatic stuff. Well, she didn't listen. She was trying to do a cartwheel something, and we just hear this scream. We come into the room. Her arm is out of joint. She has broken her arm, and she's crying, and she's just looking up, and she's just like, you know, <laughs> like, come get me, please, right now. I'm in pain. And what she, now, I don't think that she necessarily thought, you guys can put me in a sling and fix my pain right this moment, but she knew she needed help, and she knew that there was something that we can do to ultimately medicate her pain and heal her. And, you know, children have this way of knowing that when they mourn, that they can get comforted by someone that's around them. But something happens when we get older. We get sophisticated. We, we, we start to come up with ways to self-medicate, to present to the world, I'm okay, I'm fine. And so we stifle that thing in us that causes us to need to mourn, to be comforted. So instead, we might self-medicate by, you know, binging on Netflix or Hulu or sliding into someone's DM to self-medicate, consoling ourselves with Seamless or, or DoorDash just to, to distract ourselves from the pain and the heart and the pain. But, but here's the thing, self-medicating, self-medicating numbs our pain, but mourning allows God to heal our pain. I, I, can, I can try to self-medicate, the medication wears off eventually, but, but when we mourn, God actually can provide a balm to our souls. There is a balm in Gilead to make us whole. Our souls are crying out like my daughters to come get us. And when we direct our mourning to God, we can be comforted by the one who calls himself the comforter. It's a blessing to be comforted. And so we get to the third and final word of blessing that I think will help us in 2021. In Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, if the crowd wasn't already shocked to this point, surely this would have confused them. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, let me just stop right there. Hunger and thirst are our body's uh, biological ways to tell us that what we need to keep functioning, the nutrients and the sense of, of, of wholeness is not there and our stomachs start to ache or make some noise. Uh, there begins, our throats get a little dry when we are dehydrated and, and many of us get hangry, amen, right? We, we start to get a little annoyed and angry around us when we get hunger. And Jesus said, we're blessed when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. How, Sway? How? How is that possible? I'm glad you asked. See, it'll make more sense, and I kind of expand on this in a version of this text that kind of draws out some of the nuances. So in, in the expanded Bible, it reads this way. They are blessed 
who hunger and thirst after justice and righteousness, for they will be satisfied or filled. You see, what the expanded Bible adds in these brackets is to fill out the fullest meaning because just like blessed has a lot more meaning in the original language than just happy. It doesn't just mean being fortunate. It it actually has this sense of wholeness, of completeness. In that same way, the word righteousness that's translated righteousness, it it means a lot more than the the English context where we just think about righteousness. We typically think of a vertical sense of holiness with God. But in the, the, the original language, that word translated righteousness could also be rendered, and sometimes it's rendered justice, which also deals with our horizontal righteousness with how we treat each other. Stay with me. Here, here's where I'm going. God has a promise to fill those who hunger for justice and righteousness. They will be filled. See, this is a good word. If you're unsatisfied with the injustice that you see around you, you'll search for more. If, if you, you don't have this sense of, of seeing everything as it should be, then you, you realize that you need to pursue something more. But see, you won't enjoy God's justice if you are actually satisfied with the way things are being unjust in the world around us. And many of us became thirsty, not just for a relationship, but for the purity and intimacy that comes from God this year. And hunger and thirst can be a good thing. In 2020, we saw how hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness filled the streets. Many of us filled the streets. And, and, and June and, and demanding something more. And, and all of a sudden, people are called to the sense of higher purpose when you realize, wait a minute, I can make a difference. I, it does matter to me. These lives and these people, I, I can do something and have my voice be heard. Do you realize that when we go out and we demand justice, that there's a therapeutic component of this that also bounces back to us to help us that the way that things are are not the way that they're going to stay? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger can be good. Many of us know and remember, you know, have fond memories of holiday meals with families. I remember as I got older, began to treating like those holidays like game day. You know, like when you have a big game and you're playing a sport, right? Because you got to plan for what you do at every space. Like I would have a light breakfast, fruit, maybe a little bowl of cereal, intense workout. Why do I do an intense workout to to get my hunger going because when it's game time (laughs) yeah game time comes around pile up that plate with the turkey with the greens with the and of course the macaroni and cheese right we're going to do this right but some of us have been guilty of making a rookie mistake Oh, the rookie mistake is when while watching the game or doing whatever you're doing, you fill up on them chips, you fill up on them pretzels, and when it's time to come eat the meal, you ain't got no room. Oh, man, it's a terrible feeling when you have no appetite for the feast in front of you because you filled up on junk. (laughs) It's a bad feeling when you have no appetite for the feast because you filled up on junk. Jesus promises that when you await for the feast of his presence, the feast of his justice, then you will have an appetite to be filled. When you say no to Mr. Right now to wait for Mr. Right, you will be satisfied. When you say no to the DM in order to please him, then you'll be satisfied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You see, you see, see, when we, when we wait right now and we hold on and we have that sense of hunger and thirst for something more, then we can be satisfied. See, it's a blessing to be hungry. Our, blessing, our, our hunger is proof that only God can really truly satisfy us. Because some of us in here have had the thing that we, we accomplished the thing that we kept waiting for and yearning for and it didn't really satisfy us. And then we're confused. I got exactly the position I wanted. I got exactly the relationship I wanted. I got exactly the thing that I wanted and I'm still empty. And C.S. Lewis put it this way. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this earth can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That's why it's good to hunger and thirst for righteousness because it means that you've been shaken out of the slumber of thinking that all that exists that is here is that which can do for you that only God can do for you. And see, I remember when I first put my trust in Jesus and began walking with him, and this was the first verse, Matthew 5, 6, that leapt out to me and the Holy Spirit just seared in my spirit that this was true. Because you see, I had tried to fill up on academic success. I became second in my class in high school, got accepted to an Ivy League school and, and National Honor Society and all these things, and, and, and it just didn't satisfy. And I didn't even understand how a holy God could save a sinful man with all that learning. Then I tried to satisfy my thirst for acceptance and affirmation through relationships. But in the end, flirty phone calls and lustful nights just left me parched and dehydrated. Then I heard about this woman in the Bible. Oh, she was thirsty too. She had a history of drama. And she was perplexed because she heard that if she could get this living water that she would never be thirsty again. And my intellect couldn't ex- figure that out. My experiences couldn't, couldn't quite bear that out. But I heard Jesus say, behold, I'm the bread of life. Behold, I am the living water. He who drinks and eats of me will never be hungry and thirsty again. And I can taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, I tried him. He's true. He's right. 2020 for many of us could kick rocks and we look forward to never having to see it again. But I want to challenge you to not just be focused on the year, but on the reality of what is it that makes us blessed for 2021. And it's not what we have and it's not who we have, but it's whose we are and who has us. You see, the poor in spirit, are you... Do you identify with that? Are you mourning right now for what you have lost? Are you hungry and thirsty for more? Then if you are, then Jesus says, then you're right where you need to be because I am the only one that can satisfy. You don't have to wait till Thursday at midnight and welcome in 2021. If you look through the eyes of faith, then you see that you can be satisfied now and all your days because of who he is and who you can be in relation to him. We can be blessed regardless of what our situation is in 2021, not because of what'll happen or, 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 or where we'll find ourselves, but because of whose we are. Our, bla- our blessing doesn't come from our bank account or our, our Instagram feed or our relationship status or any of these other things. It only is found in him. Blessed 
are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, we thank you right now for the fact that you promised to fill us. You promised to comfort us. You promised to provide for us belonging and purpose and meaning in life beyond what this world could offer. Even if we're poor right now and we're empty right now, you tell us you're there to fill us. Thank you so much for bringing us to a day that many didn't see in 2020. But more than that, thank you for showing us where we can be when we just put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.